coming today on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung. I know my game inside and out, um, but I've never encountered anything like this in a professional sense, in a personal sense. Um, and it really sort of hit me in the face from day one after we got married. The control, the manipulation, the uh, the all the whole, like the whole gamut. If you look at that list of typical behaviours on your list. So the big questions are these. How can we navigate and negotiate every situation in our lives, in our career, in our businesses, in our relationships, and even with ourselves for our own self-worth? In other words, what if you could win every time and have no losers? Let's face it, we're not negotiating just to buy a car or for a pay raise. We are negotiating for living in every aspect of our lives. How can we do that powerfully, successfully, and victoriously? Those are the questions, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Rebecca Zung, and welcome to the time where you negotiate your best life. Welcome to another episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zung, and I have with me today Dominic Francis, who is an absolute pleasure for me to be talking to and for me to introduce you guys to. He is someone who I met through taking my slay program, but he's an absolute inspiration and will be an absolute inspiration for all of you guys to meet as well. He has been absolutely through it with a narcissist. He has lived it and he's going to be telling his story today. So I can't wait to share his story and him with all of you. So welcome, Dominic. Thank you for being here. Rebecca, I can't think back to when I've had such an honor and a privilege to communicate with somebody else. Um, Truly, there's no words. And, you know, the first thing that I want to share with your listeners is, first of all, that you are a little bit special. And if there's a a little uh, box there on the screen where listeners can say an amen, I would welcome them to put that amen in there on your behalf because of the work and the mission that you've taken on. Oh, thank you so much. Well, I'm... So glad to have you here. So take us back, take us back and tell us a little bit about your journey and your story. Um, You were, was married to a narcissist. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I have been, uh, I'm 69 going on 70. Um, I have uh, quite a, you know, not a small um, background experience with life. I've worked and um, trained on every continent, including yours, in my profession. Um, and do you live? Having, in Austra- you live in Australia. I do. Um, and uh, I have survived it. 
the um, the snake pit, as I refer to it, um, of being with a narcissist. God bless her. Um, and got through, I suppose that journey really began eight years ago. Um, and one of the things that really strikes me about the subject is that you can be in close encounter with a, a person who has this disorder and not know it, and even without having a personal relationship because I know that I have. I spent a year um, working with, closely working with um, this person um, and had absolutely zero idea that this person uh, was carrying these traits. And it wasn't until we formed a personal relationship that... Um, it became almost immediately apparent to me that there was something that I had not seen. And these, we sort of like, I suppose, um, hastened into closing the deal on our relationship in terms of getting married probably hastily too quickly. Um, because in hindsight, when you see things as they are, you would do things a lot differently and you wouldn't jump in um, to a, um, a, a, well, to be honest, a snake pit. Um, so from there, um, I had really the behaviours and the traits that I encountered, I had never encountered before um, in a relationship, and uh, we're talking over the last eight years, five of which we have been separated. So you were married for how long? Well, we, we're still married. I still wear the ring. I mean, you were together married. I'm um, together four. Okay. Yeah. Right? Right. And, uh, in the, and then in the middle of that, um, the proverbial hit the fan. Um, and another wrench was thrown into our lives, um, putting it this way, in my profession, um, you come face to face with all kinds of people. Um, let me see if I can give you a clue as to what my profession is, um, my mission in life began when I was 15. I knew from that moment I was called to work around the world in different service um, modes, um, but it was basically mission. Um, you're a lawyer. You see people often at their worst. Priests are said to see people at their best. In my profession, we see people as they really are. <laughs> and... Uh, um, in my you know usual day working seven days a week, I'd see 50 to 60, 70 clients, you know, ranging from five to 10 to 20 minutes. And that's my game. That's what I love. You know, helping people, sorting out their problems, um, getting to know people, um, reading people and, you know, helping people with their issues. So that's been my life. 
And uh, I never imagined that I would retire, but it was sort of forced upon me and having been forced upon me, I'm the happiest man on the planet, especially given like here we are talking to each other, I mean, head to head. And I've worked with the brightest in the world, the sharpest on the planet in my profession. I've met them, I've thought them out, I've been immersed in my professions, I know my game. And I was asked to to help this particular person, um, give give a hand up to this person in a professional way. And we, we, we worked together in that sense um, for a year. And then we somehow we ended up um, deciding to form a relationship, personal relationship. And then within four months, we were married. Um, and then I started to realise that my God, um, I, I've never dealt with this before. Um, I mean, I've dealt with addicts in relationship and I've dealt with, um, I mean, basically I've had four significant relationships in my life, 20 with the mother of my two sons, five with an addict whom I ha- had um, not realised was still not out of recovery, and thirdly, five years with current relationship, and then fourthly with, a, you know, six months um, sort of relationship. So I, I've sort of had, I'm talking in a sexual relationship. Um, so out of all that, I've had probably 45 years of living on my own, apart from the 15 years with my parents, um, so 30 years of living alone and uh, probably 30 years of living in a sexual relationship. And so I've never encountered this kind of these kinds of traits before. Having encountered addiction and got past all that, got through all that, and having encountered parental alienation on the, behalf, on, on the part of the mother of my two sons, I've, in, I've been through all that. Um, I was immersed in my profession after I qualified in Australia. I was immersed in Africa for several years, so getting to know the nuts and bolts of my trade. Um, I know my game inside and out, um, but I've never encountered anything like this in a professional sense, in a personal sense, Um, and it really sort of hit me in the face from day one after we got married. The control, the manipulation, the uh, the all the whole, like the whole gamut. If you look at that list of typical behaviours on your list, thirty, I've encountered every single one. And the the list that you're referring to is within my slave program. Yeah, the one to thirty. Um, oh. From number one is lying, and the bottom one, number thirty, is violence. And I had no idea of the meaning of the word narcissist, Rebecca. Yeah, I, I had heard of the word before, and I thought, oh, that's the guy who loves to look at himself in the re- in the reflection in the mirror or the lake, the water. But I had no idea that it applied to me until I saw your podcast. I'm talking about five months ago. And then all of a sudden I said to myself, wait a minute, this this is me. Rebecca 
it's nailed everything I've experienced in the last eight years and I never knew. And so from that moment I I kept playing every podcast that you created until I had to put it down and stop. Yeah, my YouTube channel. YouTube and, and, I mean, there's only a certain number of YouTube videos you can watch in a day. Right. Um, and every single word that you utter, Rebecca, is 100% on the money. And I cannot hardly get my head around how you have managed to nail this um character, personality type and um, turn it into a mission that you have because I I get where you're coming from with mission. I I got my mission at the age of 15 and this is something that I want to say to people. You know, everyone listening, you have a mission. It may not be what anybody else's mission is but that's the beauty of your mission. It's unique. Yeah, well, I'm on this mission because I've had to deal with these people on a personal level. (laughs) unfortunately and you know the thing about mission is that um if your mission is real and your mission is absolutely meant to be your mission then it's going to be tested and if it's not your mission you're going to pass that by but if it's your true mission nothing's going to stop you from fulfilling it because that's all wrapped up in your DNA. Yeah. So what kinds of things were you seeing? Give us oh, some ideas. Like give us some things that you you had to deal with specifically. Coming up, more on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung. Um, and when she left, um, I knew that I was being hounded. So I had already changed my name and changed my location and on the advice of the authorities. We're talking equivalent to the FBI here. When it comes to the safety of a child in a divorce case involving alcohol abuse, there is no compromise. Take back power, strength, and truth from the narcissist in your life with documented proof of sobriety. Soberlink's alcohol monitoring system is the most convenient, reliable, and reasonable way for a parent to provide evidence that they're not drinking when a child's safety is at risk. Soberlink's real-time alerts make it easy to negotiate with any party. Judges rest assured that the child is safe. Attorneys get court admissible evidence of sobriety, and both parents have empowerment and peace of mind. I created this community to provide support for divorced moms like me, which is why I partnered with Soberlink to create the resource Tips for Negotiating with a Narcissist. To download the guide and get $50 off your Soberlink device, visit www.soberlink.com forward slash negotiate. Are you struggling with how to negotiate and win? Maybe you're dealing with a personality that's particularly challenging like a narcissist or other high conflict personality and you're feeling powerless. 
make sure to download my free Win My Negotiation cheat sheet at www.winmynegotiation.com. Take a listen to our archive where you can listen to more episodes that show you the path to how to negotiate your best life. I know what you all are thinking. You can never win against narcissists. I know so many people believe that you can never, ever win against narcissists. Why do you believe that? You believe that because they want you to believe that because they started making you believe that right from the beginning of the relationship. That was part of your conditioning from the beginning. When they started love bombing you at the beginning of the relationship, that was part of the conditioning. That was part of that charm. And now we return to today's show. Well, I was up to my eyeballs in debt. I had five or six properties, rented out, you know, beautiful properties and homes, loving seven days of work, uh, seven days a week of working, and yet so superimposed onto that became the marriage. And immediately I had to, uh, um, was told that I had to restructure my time um, from full-time to part, you know, cut it back, back, to six days a week work and I managed to sort of fit the same number of hours in um, but less number of days. So we could sort of, you know, start to have a marriage. Um, But I immediately saw the entitlement over all my finances um, such that, you know, I opened up access to all my finances um, so that, you know, we could fund and, 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 and pay for the wedding and, uh, um, you know, I, I sort of included her into the, um, the costings of, of everything, paying for everything because she wasn't of a financial capacity to deal with that and that was fine. Um, that was absolutely fine. Hey, you take on things in marriage. Um But then this thing that really struck me almost immediately was this jealousy thing. Like in my game, I deal with a lot of different types of people and there was one or two women in my game, in my profession, who unbeknownst to me were trying to have a relationship with me, inappropriate. And I I had to put a lid on that. I had to come out in the open with it and... Um, and deal with that in the professional sense through management staff structures and legally I had to get, you know, court orders and da-da-da. But that wasn't the end of it for my wife. That was only the beginning. Um, She wanted to, she wanted more. She wanted, uh, um, there there was a clear sense that she had violence in mind. And I had to physically prevent her from, stop her from going out the door to do that. I had to stand in front of the door one night to stop her from, because she was, had planned to do something. And I knew this wouldn't be the end of my career if that happened. 
um, because, you know, it would be just, you just, that, in my game, that's a no no. So, she, um, so what was like the, the, the head? What was like the thing that caused like the, the straw? And then um, this went on and on, probably three or four different women um, with whom I had no, you know, um, ulterior motive other than to be their professional carer. Um, and I'm pretty mindful of boundaries in my game. Um, you have to be. Um, who needs professional um, audits. But then it became sort of, you know, entitlement and nothing was too, nothing was enough and uh, let me go down the list. You know, and then I didn't realise that there was this triangulation going on and uh, I could, with all that I, trouble that I went to to pay for everything, there was never a thank you. Oh, yeah, of course. And I was, I'm talking like, like I had one level of debt when we met and that within a year against my better judgment, I mean, I resisted her um, demands to upgrade our accommodation, but we were already in immaculate accommodation. But the demands were unrelenting for what she wanted and so within 18 months, my debt structure had doubled. My debt equity had doubled. Did she know that you were going yeah, into debt? No, or? I was fully open. I'm transparent, you know. And she didn't care, right? Like the entitlement. You got it. The, 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 um, what's that word? Um, you know, empathy and so oh, forth. Yeah, no empathy, right? You know, and, uh, um, so it reached a point where one day I lost, once, once we kind of moved into the new home and uh, um, my debt sort of doubled, um, that was okay. But I, I, I sort of, what really got me was the fact that um, there was no gratitude. Right. It just you know, ex expected. And not only that, Rebecca, but... I say this with all respect to my beloved wife, but, you know, she started, like, trying to undermine. I had a wonderful team of finance people, um, investment people, I, I mean, the best. And she started sort of, like, unbeknownst to me, triangulating and, 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 and getting inside that and undermining their, their value. And that really sort of reached a point with me where I, I I got my nose out of joint and I said, I swore, you know, I, I used the F word and I don't use that lightly. Mm. Um, and I said to her face to face, you know, you're just ungrateful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that was the first real confrontation after what we were talking 18 months. Well, yeah, yeah. and you don't do that to this particular person. Right, right. Um, because um, I really sort of opened myself up and then there was all hell broke loose and we ended up 
you know, there was a court order and I had, I was literally not allowed to go back into the home for seven or eight months. You were not allowed. No. And um, and so during this process, I said to myself, look, to save the marriage, I'm going to, I'm going to change everything. I'm going to get rid of all the debt, try to simplify my life um, for the sake of the marriage, um, restructure my life so simple, godly, and, you know, put everything into the marriage, give it everything. And, um, and she convinced me to retire and promised me that she would take care of all the finance, she would work and pay for everything, and, and that never happened. And in the midst of that, another wrench came in to our circumstances because in my game you deal with all kinds of people. Some of them are not particularly nice people. And uh, um, long story short, um, some underworld people decided they didn't like me because I um, would not uh, would not come through with basically, um, you know, in a professional, your hands are tied by statutory law. You, you, as a professional person, you're not allowed to do things, um, whether they're whatever side, whoever they are. And I put my foot down. I said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to be doing unlawful things. Um, and I can tell you what this is off the air. I don't want this public. Right. Because, because I had to change my name, I had to change my state, I had to change my location on the advice of, you know, law enforcement for my own safety and protection. And this you really... You went to the witness protection program just because you were married to a narcissist, right? You could say, you could say that that kind of covers, um, in, you know, in a sense. And this became too much for my wife because she was... She was assaulted by people involved with this and uh, um, and there was a lot of stuff going on at work where we had to basically, we just said, no, this is, this we had a gut fault. I'm not working for an organisation that's uh, professionally um, forcing us to, to basically prostitute ourselves as professional people. There's a lot of this going on in our profession. Um, and so we both got out of it, decided this, and then uh, when... When we sort of did our last shift, this when the when the uh, Noi people um, assaulted my wife in the workplace, and then the whole proverbial hit the fan. Um, it became too much for her, and we had to sort of go um, into another sort of world, really look, looking out for ourselves. And uh, after about um, twelve months of this me changing my name, my location, trying to sort our marriage out, became too much, and she basically left. And I, it broke my heart. It broke my heart. And she tried to have me, you know. Um, There's so much for her taking care of you and. Uh... Question my, you know, sanity. And, uh, and I survived all that. Um, I went, I became homeless, penniless. Careerless overnight, oh um, and when she left, um, I knew that I was being hounded. So I had already changed my name and changed my location, and 
on the advice of the authorities. We're talking equivalent to the FBI here. Wow. In Australia. Okay, at the very top. And uh, so I'm sort of trying not to give away too much, but giving away what I can. And uh, so I lived in the tent for, I was homeless for a couple of years. Oh, my gosh. Um, penniless. Well, you know, and I mean, look, when we talk about being homeless and penniless, it's all relative. I mean, if I, I learned about what it means to survive that and it was the best thing that ever happened. Um, best thing that ever happened to me, Rebecca, because, you know, probably when you look at 85% of the population of the planet, they're living on less than $10 a day. And here was me. Pretty quickly I was able to get on to, um, like, government assistance, equivalent to about, what you'd say, $30 a week. But I still really couldn't afford to buy food. So for 12 months straight, I really couldn't afford to buy myself a meal every day. I had to sort of like work at, worked it out. I was living by the river in the mountains in a tent on frozen ground. And all I had was the tent and one pair of clothes and I lived next to a river with the ducks and the squirrels and the wombats and the snakes and the, and the, and the deer. And so I was forced through that to, like, the reason I headed for the hills, because I love altitude, I love solitude, I love wilderness, um, it really brought me back to square one. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me, Rebecca. You probably shake your head wondering how I could say that, you know, but like... Well, I'm just amazed at this story. I mean, like the people who are listening, they can't even imagine, like, this is amazing, like, so inspirational, like, keep going, because, like, wow. Well, what I want to say to you is that my wife is, like, I was the happiest man on the planet when she said to me, he gave me the, the green light that we were going to have a relationship. I, I was the happiest guy on the planet. Um and I never forget that. And, you know, when we talk about people with faults, hey, you know, one thing I, I'm mindful of is the fact that we're all frail. We all have our frailties. You know, Thomas Kempis says, you know, we're all frail. Um, and the most frail we are, each of us are very frail. We have our frailties. So, you know, what I'm saying is that, you know, I still love and adore my beloved wife, but I realised that I had to set up the boundaries. Six, probably six to eight months ago, I started to realise my boundaries are sacrosanct. Um, I started to figure out intuitively that, no, I can't permit her to be next of kin. Um because she has used that adversely. And uh, so I said to her on the phone, no, I can't allow that, you know. I really said that. And uh, she said to me, goodbye and good luck. Those were the last words I heard. That was about six, seven, eight months ago. And I realised, you know, that she'd just done me the biggest favour in my life. And when I say that, 
I say that with all due respect to her and, you know, in a loving way because, you know, those people who you're engaged with on a personal level, you have to try to to really love that person. You've got to bring out the love in them. That's what loving is. Um, and it's no failure to say to, to, to not be successful at that. Just because you can't bring the love out of another person doesn't mean you're a failure. It just means, you know, you probably haven't tried in every which way. But you have to reach the point where boundaries are boundaries, you know. And, and I knew from a young age, of the age of 15, when I first got my mission in life, where my boundaries are and frontiers are. So tell us then, how did you come to the SLAY program? Well, I saw your face on the screen and I listened to every word you said. Once I saw you define the meaning of the word narcissist, I said to myself, wait a minute, that that fits everything. And that's when I joined all the dots. So, so talk about what the SLAY program has meant to you. I take word-for-word notes of every word you utter on my you know, I write down word for word. So, you know, you'll speak a phrase or a sentence and then I stop, press the pause button and I write it down on paper. So I go back, this is how I take notes. I record every word in handwriting and then I'll go back and read it and then I'll highlight. And the slate program just, you know, it's like you have to do it. It's a no-brainer. And if you've got a lawyer who gets who has their head around the subject you you have to engage because if you're in that stage of life where you haven't got out of this one-on-one setting with a narcissist you have to figure out and soon that your life is so valuable and so special and sacred um, you have to understand the meaning of dignity. And this is what your program, like, opens up, the whole definitions. These are big words, Rebecca. The meaning of the word dignity doesn't just, you know, the penny doesn't drop just because you read it in an Oxford dictionary. You have to live it before you can understand the meaning. I mean, I've studied poverty. I've lived in poverty. I've given everything away, sold everything, go and live in the poor, you know, poorest of the poor. I've lived with them. I've served them. You've been in a tent. I've lived in Africa with the poorest. That's how I learned my game. I've lived in the poorest of the poor houses with the men's houses of Mother Teresa in Rome and and Melbourne and da-da-da-da-da, you have to live with them to encounter what real poverty is. But if you know, you can't learn the meaning of these big words out of a dictionary. You have to live it. And slowly but surely the meanings will dawn on you. And the big penny dropped for me when I saw you unravel the, 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 the encyclopedic meaning of these terminologies. You've really nailed it. You have really um, lived it. And I, 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 that's why I, I said to myself, these people who are listening to your program, I'm, 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 I'm hearing you and uh, I'm here for you. And how has it impacted you? Like how has it changed your life? 
best thing that ever happened to me. Um, I had to go back to the basics of my, you know, um, identity and my mission and uh, square one. It's 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 brought me back to being God centered, whereas in a narcissistic relationship or in any relationship in today's world, it's a struggle not to be self-centred and not to have all the possessions and the things of life. You have to do in order to survive. But this is where your self-worth and dignity and value becomes blurred because, you know, possessions and things and, 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 and you know, broken relationships and, and faults and failings and, and so forth, they blur the boundaries of they blur the you know the frontiers because if you're going to become whole as a person, you have to encounter brokenness. Yeah. There's no two ways around it. Yeah. Sooner the better. Yeah. And it's not easy. And you and I wouldn't wish that on anybody, would we? Right. So true. So true. Well. Thank you so much. I mean, I'm I'm so thrilled for you and I'm so thrilled for the person that you've become. I mean, look at you. You really are the person who's gone from zero to hero. <laughs> You're beautiful. I mean, seriously. I mean, from a tent to like, look at you. It's incredible. Yeah. Oh, my God, you know, I'm only just a beginner, Rebecca. I'm only just beginning on this journey. And, you know, I was laying in bed at night a couple of weeks ago and I realised I've got 20 years before I'm 90. I've got plenty of time left to do what I want to do. Um, and, uh, you know, but one day at a time, you don't know one day to the next how much time we have, but make the most of every day and don't despair. Look inwardly, look I sent you a, 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 a sort of a summary of how I survived all this. I don't know whether you received it. Well, I mean, I'm absolutely in awe of you. I am so inspired by you. Oh, Rebecca, what a beautiful person to be with. You know, I'm, I have met some, I have met people at the top of their game, Rebecca. I have. I've met them on every continent. I mean, we're talking... You know, you're in the top 1% of your game. I know that level of my profession. I've met them, they're friends of mine, and I love them, and I've learned from them. That you have to seek out mentors. If you're going to be formed as a human being, if you're going to be formed as a professional, you have to seek out the best teachers and mentors to be formed, and you have to throw yourself in the deep end of life to learn the nuts and bolts and to get through. And that's the making of wholeness. You know, you, you know what I'm talking, right? A hundred percent. And you've done way, that. And the only way out is through. <laughs> so I'm going to throw it right back at you. When I look at you and I listen to you and those people that you engage with, and especially I love your listeners listening to you now and your listeners, I want to just give a word to your listeners that we love you, we embrace you, we ask all the mercy and blessings from above to come down upon you wherever your circumstances are, to lift you up, to, to, to 
encounter the grace from above. That's the that's the oxygen of life, the grace from above. And looking at you, I know that's your that's you that's who you are. You're full of it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, well, I I I accept. You know, I I. I uh, I'm humbled and I feel that I I want the want the universe to use me as I'm meant to be used for um you know as the grace of God you know wow. so salute you Rebecca thank you thank you so much Dominic I very much appreciate you I honor you and I um thank you for being willing to share your story here today. Well, those sentiments, I, you know, throw right back at you. It's truly, um, it's, it's one of the highlights and great moments of my life to, to finally meet somebody who gets where we are at. Uh-huh. That's a rarity. You are a, uh, uh, the, you know, the living proof of, what dignity is and what, um, you know, identity that's fulfilled looks like. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for stopping by and listening to this episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zung. Check back next Monday for more inspirational pearls of wisdom. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, I'd love if you would give it a five-star rating and tell me what you liked in a review on iTunes. Also, be sure to grab your winning negotiation cheat sheet at winmynegotiation.com. And remember, today is a perfect day to start negotiating your best life. Thank you.